0: Jesus, um, we just thank you that you've been here and I just even right now recognize my need for you, our need for you. Would you soften our hearts and our spirits to be in a position to hear your voice? Would you give us a heart for your bride, in your church. Would you take the revelation far deeper than anything that's preached up here, Father God, and make it um, each and every person's own? I pray that you would speak to each person in this room, the very thing they need to hear about your body. And may our actions, our heart, be a loving sacrifice to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, that worship was pretty amazing. Um, It's been good. I mean, we've had great teams, but I have to just say, I wasn't up here last time, but it's been good to have the Yangs back. So... You guys always get to watch me um, wrestle when I'm up here. One of the things that I wrestle with pretty consistently is I think I say this, I've told you guys this, but I'm kind of like an information junkie. And so I like to absorb a lot of information and think about a lot of different things, but that also puts me at a great disadvantage that whenever I'm up here, I want to talk about all the things that I read and so on. There's just not enough time. So let me just say, for the record, when I were talking about the bride or the body of Christ, there's no way that we can do any of it justice. Um, We're just kind of starting... um, We have a sermon series, but it's really one of our annual priorities from last year um, called Being Responsible for the Bride. And um, when we're talking about being responsible for the bride, there's a lot of different components to that. Um, There's just the component, responsible for the bride, for those of you guys who may be aware of the language, um, and for those of you who aren't, the bride refers to the body of Christ, the church. And um, there's two different... Parts of that. And what we'll kind of talk about today is a little bit of an overview, but I think if I'm really honest, I think what we're going to end up doing is double-clicking on it over the next year and maybe the next decade. Um, I feel like it's a pretty profound and deep topic that we're really as a church just starting to get revelation on and to be perfectly honest as a church over the last 14 years it's not something that we've um, preached about really heavily because I really feel like how important it is is something that God has been unveiling and and revealing over time but I really think that it's probably one of the most important things on the heart of God. It's something that we oftentimes think is kind of extra. um, And that's evidenced by, you can see in our culture, people just kind of church shop. They just kind of go wherever. They just listen to uh, sermons online. But a lot of people in our culture do not realize and understand the incredible significance of the idea of church. It's one of the areas, I think, that causes a lot of grief and a lot of, a lot of the reason why people stop going to church is because of the church. And so I think when we're talking about such a big topic, we I think it's really great and really helpful to kind of recognize where we start, what our posture is, what our own experiences have been, and then really invite um, the Holy Spirit to uh, speak to us about where he wants to take us from that point to what is actually true and what he believes about her. Um so, one of the things that um, this is kind of just the way I think. I think about everything um, first. I think really like big picture, and then I like to double double click and then go down and into a little bit more detail. And For those of you guys who have been here over the year and maybe even um, starting last year at retreat, one of the things that the Lord's been really speaking to me is kind of like a more holistic perspective of the gospel, starting from creation all the way to Christ's return and reestablishment of heaven here on earth. And when we're talking about the bride, this is a term that's really important in, in contextualizing in kind of that bigger scheme and narrative. Because when we're talking about the bride, we're talking about the way that God refers to the church at the very end times when he's coming back for her. And so when when we first start the story, we're talking about the Garden of Eden and how everything was really perfect. Once we start talking and actually call the church the bride, what we're really talking about is a way that God sees us. And what we're going to look like at the culmination of what we understand all of human history to look like is that we are going to be a part of this thing called the bride of Christ we we collectively all the people on earth in every nation and culture young and old that that have decided in this lifetime to call Jesus our lord we will collectively be a part of this thing called the bride of christ and we get to be invited to a celebration that is never existed in all of the universe until that moment comes. That is the moment, in some ways, that has been deposited pretty deep that some of us may have access to, but is a reality for every single person who decides at some point to call Jesus their king, is that he gets to be the one that we get to see face to face and we get to be. His bride, and a bride is one of the most intimate, celebrated, waited-for people, ideas of all time. So let's go back again. This is—I just—I think this is a great thing to always remember whenever we start um, with any conversation about. Um, about the Lord, I really like to start with what what was his original intention? What did things look like? When we first began, when God made the heavens and the earth and mankind, we had perfect intimacy with God, right? It says that we walked with him in the cool of the day. So that means, and that's not a metaphor. That is like actually, he wasn't invisible, he was a real person that got to walk with Adam and Eve. So in our original creation and design, we could be in his presence and talk to him and hear him. Our connection with him was unbroken. There was full acceptance and worship with, to him was fully intact. There was no brokenness. We didn't have other things we were worshiping. There's nothing else in competition. And our relationship with each other, as seen by the relationship between Adam and Eve, relationship and trust was there. Connection was good. There wasn't distrust. And then we move into what did we do, right? At that point, when you think about what was the job of people, It helps inform what we do here now. Because that thing that was true then is still true here now. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And then he's even more directive once he actually sees Adam and Eve. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. If we break this down, in essence, what this is, is really the day-to-day. Right? This exists pre-fall. This is like what all of us would like to do in a really like idealized, perfect setting is manage things, have authority, command, steward things, be creative, right? Because Adam and Eve had to be creative. They had to name all the creatures. Do you know how much brain power it must be to name over 30 million species of creation? Part of it is having families, worshiping God. Cultivating and stewarding the land and being joyful in that productivity. Work was meant to be a really joyful thing. We would eat and work and have family, and it's just what we now do is survive. What God designed us to do back then was thrive and enjoy and be with Him. And that would have kept us pretty darn busy, right? This That component is the part where I usually, I, I, I lump in with the loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You just live life and love him. You see him in all of creation and what you're doing. And then post-fall, okay, what we do here on earth starts to get a little bit more complicated. We start to introduce the idea that the world fell. And now, now that Jesus came, I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff because we, we don't need to belabor the details. But Jesus comes. And he then says to us, okay, now that he, the world fell, I'm going to make a way to reestablish heaven again. Okay? And he says, so the next command, right? The very first command before everything falls is go subdue. You know, multiply, do all these things. The next thing he says is, well, now, it's not just your day-to-day. It's not just eating and working and having your families. Now, there's another thing we have to do. In Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he says, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so now in addition to living life and all that that entails, right? there's the component of now in our own lives we have to Not have to, but we get to see all those areas redeemed. We get to see family redeemed. We get to see work redeemed. We get to see what all of that looks like. But now we also get to be part of the rescue plan for all of Earth. And the reason why I bring it up this way is because I think a lot of times when we talk about being responsible for the bride and what our role is in, the, in, in church, there's also this other component that we have to recognize, especially, I think that happens everywhere, but I think it's even more pertinent here in the Bay Area, that, like, that work part, that get through the day-to-day, do our family part. That is very much the thing that we were called to do, but now we have this other part. And so that feeling of, like, which one do we prioritize? What do we do? We feel told to do more than one of those things is actually kind of part of what happened with the fall. We before didn't have to have that, and we didn't have to compute that into our day-to-day, but now we do have this other thing to compute, and it's a pretty big part. So I'm going to um, throw out two different um, metaphors, but I think this one... Um, just the idea of the bride. Um, I'm not going to get into it super, 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 super in depth, um, because I think we'll kind of get to unwrap that over time. But in Ephesians 5:25 to 27, if you'd like, you can open it. Open your Bibles and go there. If I uh, yeah, I didn't get to send it to the nice projector person, so you guys will have to tick, tick, tick on your phones. Or you can just listen. so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. feel like even saying anything more like ugh so I want us to keep that in mind that Jesus that part of the work here on earth is that we get to become the bride, and we get to prepare the bride. We are both her in being the one being worked on, but we are also her in the ones that are walking alongside the one that we love to go and find the rest of her. And this is where my metaphor is going to shift a little bit. Um, it's, I really do believe that um, God is very relational, and so even his metaphors are relational in nature. Um, he could have picked any metaphor um, for the end of time, but he decided and he picked one that is about two people in the most intimate relationship we have ever un- can understand as people one where two people become one person. He picks a metaphor that encapsulates trust and anticipation because he is relational and that's how good he is. That is the prize. And I wanna use that terminology because I'm gonna shift metaphors now into a, I think it's silly metaphor, but I think it's very useful. So we're going to talk about the rest of life as a video game. Um, and it's a real life video game. It's not a, I don't play video games, but I feel like um, God kind of spoke to me in, these, in this language. So uh, I'm going to do my best. All of you role playing people out there, forgive me if I get it wrong. But um, so if we think about this, OK? There is a reward and a goal at the end of the age, okay? What we get to be, you get to see a wedding. You get to see a king. But there are rules of engagement. One, and I said this before, you don't get to make anyone go with you. The person has to want to go all on their own imagine that, that all of this is dark and that there's a fire coming. And at the very end, there's going to be a big fire. And we, those of us who know Jesus, are trying to help get as many people out of the dark and out of the, out of the in upcoming impending fire as possible. You can only do it through free will. You cannot coerce. So what and how are you going to do this? And, and I don't exactly know if this is true, you know, but I do think there's some kind of reward system for getting more people in. <laughs> Let's just say it that way, right? <laughs> and for what, how you do it. So how you get to the end matters, okay? So, what are the different things that you get to do? What do you have ready and accessible to you? One, the more you look like something that people want to be, the more likely it is that you will inspire and get to bring people along because they're going to, because people also have this interesting thing that happened with the fall. They really like to look up to and idolize <laughs> and look for the image of God on earth. And so as we get cleaned up, quote unquote, sanctification, inner healing, discipled, right? Right? but in the context of this video game, the more we start to look like the guy that we're trying to bring everyone to know at the end, the better our chances of being able to incite godly jealousy in people and inspire them to want to come to where we are going. So we've got to ourselves start to look like him and look like the reward and embody the kingdom. Two, we got to tell people, it's great if you look all great, but nobody knows why you look great. So there's this next aspect we call evangelism. Some people really resonate and really will care about this. And so what does that require? It doesn't help if all of the people who are the bride all stay and pray under a table in a small room in the dark it's nice if some people do that but some people actually have to go right the go therefore to all nations and it's not helpful to only go to one place we have to have people who go to all the different places the part of the problem of the church i feel like has been that it's only been one type of person going to one types of places no we need all of the different varieties of people with all the various different gifts that we have, all the different ways that we relate to who God is to help different people, because other people relate to God in very different ways. And everybody, right, part of getting them to be interested is that they feel like they can relate. And so we need more people who look more like Jesus in totality and fullness. But somebody's gotta tell them. So we've gotta have some people who do the telling. Got to tell them about the the, the groom. Got to tell them about the wedding feast. The next thing, we've got to kind of get through the day. right? If you think about this journey that we're on, we're actually moving somewhere. But we do have to set up camp. So somebody's got to gather food. We've got to eat. We're, we're, we're people, so we have to have joy. We've got to celebrate. We've got to love each other. We've got to do the things to stay alive and to continue to the destination ourselves so that we also make it. This is the cultivating of your relationship with the Lord. Part of this is As we set up camp, the messes we make, we've got to clean up and recognize and admit that we made them. That's part of what social justice is. As we go towards the end, we are going there, but how we do it really does matter because we're not bringing dead things. We're bringing alive people who have to activate their will to want to come with you. And so as we go on this journey, part of the journey is packing up our tents, fixing our messes if we've made them, because we do, as as most people know. Every time you move or travel, you've got to pack, you've got to clean up what you did, right? I hope even as I kind of use this this um, metaphor and outline these tools that we have that maybe some of us can start to see what are the parts in this um, journey that resound more for me that I'm excited about? Am I gonna be part of the people who um, help set up tent? Am I gonna be a part of the cleaning crew? Am I gonna be a part of the people who help with the families and make sure that those are intact? Because if they don't stay healthy then they become a part of what needs to be cleaned up? Are you a part of the tellers? Are you a part of um, the ones who help people? Once they have heard the message, deal with their hearts. And we'll talk about this more, um, I think, the next time I preach, but a really huge part of making it to the end is we have to steward the treasure. Because part of this video game, so to speak, is that we discovered a big treasure. And in the process of trying to get here, it is the most important thing that you don't lose the treasure. That is God. God. You start with a message, you start with an encounter, you start with the yes, and it gets cultivated. But if that treasure gets lost, uh, <laughs> luckily we get a lot of second chances, but we really only get to hear whatever happens, however we show up on this day, is what we get points for. Okay, so we'll talk more about that, that stewarding that treasure at another time, but just know that none of it can happen if you don't have that treasure with you because that's like your energy package or whatever it is that you call those things. Say I'm trying. <laughs> <clears throat> and this is the part I want to spend a little bit more time on for today. Oh, my hand's cramping. All right, is you can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. In John 17, it says, this is the last prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. You think about it like these are his last words, his parting words, right? So they're pretty important to him. It says, all of them are one, just as you and me and I am in you. And may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Ooh, my hand really is cramping. Okay, Jesus. And then I'm going to read one more scripture, and then I'm going to tie these two together. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another so our oneness with one another and our connection with the body of Christ is paramount to this journey happening and Happening the way God designed it to. If you get there alone, one, you may not actually make it there. Right? Like, I'm not saying you can't, but it'd be really hard. But if you make it, if you're kind of going along, disconnected, the world doesn't get to see Jesus. These two scriptures, part of it is for you, but some of it is for others. It says, that the world may believe that you have sent me. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the most powerful things, the most powerful witness to the world is when we love each other well. When in this place, with other people who have said, I am committed to Christ, so I actually don't get to go anywhere because you're going to be in heaven. We're stuck with each other actually for all of eternity. So either whether you like me or not, I'm never going away. Right? <laughs> but here in the local body, you, ha- you get the chance to practice what being together looks like. Here in the local body, wherever it may be, it doesn't have to be ours, right? Because the church is more than just one little church. Despite what many people may think, the church is those who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And so when we start to love one another, prefer one another, sacrifice for one another, honor one another, Love one another in tangible, explicit ways. Focus on the fact that we are one. That is where our witness strengthens. And I really, really do believe this is why racism is so detrimental, one of the weapons of the enemy. Because what the enemy has done with that is he said, we're not all one. He made people, different people in different cultures who have come to know Jesus, all of a sudden feel like we're not one. There are some people who are better than other people. That is a strategy of the enemy. And then it keeps happening. The enemy keeps trying to say, well, actually, now those people are a different kind of Christian. Those people represent people who only know that part of God. And these are the real Christians. And then make us fight, hurt each other, try to assert who's the better, who's the more right. And all of a sudden, we are not busy trying to get there. We are now in our little camps. <laughs> right? You picture your little little icons. Not going anywhere, pause game. (laughs) Like, I I know. These are silly and the actual issues are very real, so please take that into consideration. I believe that the enemy wants us to be divided, right? The, the word says that where a kingdom is divided, it cannot stand. So if we're talking about a mission, it's a cooperative mission. There's really, we all have to get there, as many people as possible. And what the enemy does is he says, you're not one. You're, you guys are all different. He tries to convince us that we're different depending on culture, nationality, color of our skin, our theology, our politics. He tries to say we're different because we have different ways to solve the brokennesses of the world. He tries, and then let's just say we're in agreement there. He tries to then say we're different because, well, those people are the worship people, and those people are the tech people, and those people are the Bible people. And he makes those people then fight. Those people are the prophetic people. Those people are the apostle people. Those people are the evangelist people. And we don't have a whole lot in common. Or he makes us feel divided and different because of our personalities. Well, those people are the happy people and those people are the sad people and those people are the party people and those people are the painting people and those people are the computer people and those people are the whatever, whatever, whatever people. And what you can tell that it's the enemy because the fruit of it is I'm different. I I don't want to be there too with them. I'm not like them. I'm the only one. I'm the oldest. I'm the youngest. There's no one else like me. But if you really think about it, at the end of the age, it's going to be young and old. Every single person from every nation, every culture, we're all going to be together. And so when we hear the voice of God, what he says is, no, in me, there's only one. There's one church. There's one kind of person, and that's the kind of person who knows they need me. There's only one. There's me, and then you all as the church, the bride. There's only one bride. There's not like the Seventh-day Adventist brides, and then the Baptist brides, and then the charismatic brides, and the whatever. There's only one bride. Oh, but those are the people who knew the Holy Spirit, and those people didn't. You know what? We're all so far from what God looks like (laughs) that if we even get a little bit of it right, we're doing pretty okay. What the enemy does is he makes the secondary things so much more important that we forego and forget the primary thing. God himself is the primary thing not our mission not our goals not the things that we're supposed to do while we're here God himself is the primary he's the maker of heaven and earth he's the center when we get to heaven he is what all of it is all about he's the light there's not even a sun you don't even get to, you know, there is nothing and no one else. The only thing, this is one of the things I believe, and I, haven't, I don't have full, full evidence of it, but I believe that God made it so that when humans were trying to create the Tower of Babel, what they are trying to do is get to God without him, right? He created those differences intentionally to separate us. He created cultures and languages and all of this stuff so that we, if we were trying to do it on our own, would f- eventually fight. But once we know him, we don't get to, we, we don't need, we can use those things and they can be good things, enhancements, <laughs> to celebrate all of the richness, But the thing that creates us and makes us one is him. That if we are now in him, there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through him. There's going to be so many different ways. The enemy tries to make it seem like there's a lot of ways to become one, to bring peace to earth. There is no other way but by the name of Jesus Christ himself. And if anything makes us question his deity, question his death and resurrection, makes us think all those other things are okay, or makes us think that all the secondary things are more important than he himself and what he's done to make us one, we have to be alert. Because in the end, there's going to be one bride, one body, And we are a part of her. So I would love um, us to have the worship team come up. And um, that's all I have for this portion. But I really just... This is like one of the things that I'm most passionate about because I really feel like I'm not the only one. I believe that there's a lot of us in this room who are called to be a part of preparing the bride. And part of preparing the bride is being a vicious advocate of keeping her one. Everything else in the world tries to make us different. Make us not celebrate our differences, but make us see them as things that are divisive and not the same. But God himself and for his bride, I really believe part of it is when we meet another believer, brother, sister, there are things that we may not agree with, but you know, there's a lot of things that we're all working out in our own theology and our own salvation too. So let the Lord deal with that. And if they give you a place to speak, then inspire and move them to the right place, for sure. There is a place for that. But it is in the context of unity and trust where we get to move that scale further. All right, um, let's, uh, let's worship and be one. How, how, how about that? All right. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Pastor Suki, for the powerful word. Let's give it one more round of applause. (laughs) Um, Yeah, as the worship team leads us, I just invite you all to ask the Lord, um, are there any places in my spirit, my heart, my mind that prevents me from being unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, And ask him to just search you. And... um, as we worship, we'll, we'll have a chance just to interact with God and do our business with him, um, to lay down those things, to repent of those things, to ask him to help us in those areas. And he will, I believe, in this time do a work of unifi- unification. Um, so yeah, join me in engaging with the Lord in this. We also have altar ministers who will be up here to pray if you'd like to pray with anyone through forgiveness or through any sort of uh, thing that comes up for you in this time.